Truth in the Inward Parts, Volume 2, The Journal of George Fox, Part 2 of 2. At a certain time, when I was at Mansfield, there was a meeting of justices about the hiring of servants, and it was upon me from the Lord to go and speak to the justices that they should not oppress the servants in their wages. So I walked towards the inn where they were, but finding a company of fiddlers there, I did not go in but decided to come in the morning when I might have a more serious opportunity to discourse with them, not thinking that a seasonable time. But when I came again in the morning, they were gone, and I was struck so blind that I could not see. I inquired of the innkeeper where the justices were to meet that day, and he told me they were at a town eight miles off. My sight began to come to me again, and I went out and ran that way as fast as I could. When I had come to the house where they were, There were many servants with them, and I exhorted the justices not to oppress the servants in their wages, but to do that which was right and just to them. And I exhorted the servants to do their duties, and to serve honestly, etc. They all received my exhortation kindly, for I was moved of the Lord therein. Moreover, I was moved to go to several courts and steeplehouses at Mansfield and other places to warn them to cease from oppression and oaths, and to turn from deceit unto the Lord, and do justly. After I had been at a court in Mansfield, I was moved to go and speak to one of the most wicked men in the country, one who was a common drunkard, a noted whoremaster, and a rhyme-maker. I reproved him in the dread of the mighty God for his evil ways. When I had finished speaking and had left him, he came after me and told me that he was so smitten when I spoke to him that he had scarcely any strength left in him. So this man was convinced, and turned from his wickedness, and remained an honest, sober man to the astonishment of the people who had known him before. Thus the work of the Lord went forward, and many were turned from the darkness to the light within the compass of these three years, 1646, 1647, and 1648. Several meetings of friends in various places were then gathered to God's teaching by his light, spirit, and power, for the Lord's power broke forth more and more wonderfully. Now I was come up in spirit through the flaming sword into the paradise of God. All things were new, and all the creation gave another smell unto me than before, beyond what words can utter. I knew nothing but pureness and innocency and righteousness, being renewed into the image of God by Christ Jesus to the state which Adam was in before he fell. The creation opened to me, And it was shown to me how all things had their names given them according to their nature and virtue. I was at a stand in my mind whether I should practice medicine for the good of mankind, seeing that the natures and virtues of things were so open to me by the Lord. But I was immediately taken up in spirit to see into another or more steadfast state than Adam's innocency, even into a state in Christ Jesus that should never fall. And the Lord showed me that such as were faithful to him, in the power and light of Christ, should come up into that state in which Adam was before he fell, in which the admirable works of creation and their virtues may be known through the openings of that divine word of wisdom and power by which they were made. Great things did the Lord lead me into, and wonderful depths were opened unto me, beyond what can be declared by words, But as people come into subjection to the Spirit of God and grow up in the image and power of the Almighty, they may receive the word of wisdom that opens all things and come to know the hidden unity in the eternal being. Thus I traveled on in the Lord's service as the Lord led me. And when I came to Nottingham, the mighty power of God was there among friends. From there I went to Clawson in Leicestershire in the Vale of Belvoir, And the mighty power of God was there also, in several towns and villages where friends were gathered. While I was there, the Lord opened to me three things relating to those three great professions in the world, medicine, divinity, so-called, and law. He showed me that the physicians had gone out from the wisdom of God by which the creatures were made, and so knew not their virtues. He showed me that the priests had gone out from the true faith, of which Christ is the author, the faith which purifies the heart and gives victory and brings people to have access to God, and by which they please God, 
which mystery of faith is held in a pure conscience. He showed me also that the lawyers had gone out from equity and true justice, and from the law of God which went over the first transgression, and over all sin, and was in accord with the Spirit of God that was grieved and transgressed in man. And that these three, the physicians, the priests, and the lawyers, ruled the world, having gone out from the wisdom, out from the faith, and out from the equity and law of God, the one pretending to offer the cure of the body, the other the cure of the soul, and the third the property of the people. But I saw they were all outside of the wisdom, outside of the faith, outside of the equity and perfect law of God. And as the Lord opened these things unto me, I felt how his power had gone forth over all, by which all might be reformed if they would receive and bow unto it. The priests might be reformed and brought into the true faith, which was a gift of God. The lawyers might be reformed and brought into the law of God, which corresponds to that gift of God that is transgressed in everyone and brings man to love his neighbor as himself. For it is this gift that lets man see that if he wrongs his neighbor, he wrongs himself, and it teaches him to do unto others as he desires them to do unto him. The physicians might be reformed and brought into the wisdom of God, by which all things were made and created, that they might receive a right knowledge of created things and understand the virtues which the word of wisdom has given them. An abundance was open concerning these things, how all had gone out from the wisdom of God and out from the righteousness and holiness in which man was first made. But as all believe in the light and walk in the light, with which Christ has enlightened every man that comes into the world, John 1, 9, they become children of the light and of the day of Christ. In his day all things are seen, visible and invisible, by the divine light of Christ, the spiritual and heavenly man, by whom all things were made and created. Then I saw concerning the priests, that although they stood in deceit and acted by the dark power, which kept both they and their people under, yet they were not the greatest deceivers spoken of in the scriptures, for these had not come as far as many of them had come. But the Lord opened to me who the greatest deceivers were and how far they might come. Even those who came as far as Cain, to hear the voice of God, and those who came out of Egypt and through the Red Sea to praise God on the banks of the seashore, and those who could speak by experience of God's miracles and wonders, those who had come as far as Korah and Dathan and their company, those who had come as far as Balaam, who could speak the word of the Lord, who heard his voice and knew it, and knew his spirit, and could see the star of Jacob and the loveliness of Israel's tent, the second birth, which no enchantment could prevail against. These who could speak so much of their experiences of God, and yet had turned from the Spirit and the Word and denied the truth, these were, and would be, the great deceivers, far beyond the priests. Likewise among the Christians, those who could preach in Christ's name and work miracles, cast out devils, and go in the gospel times as far as Cain and Korah and Balaam did in theirs. These were and would be the great deceivers. These could tell some experiences of Christ and God, but they lived not in the life. These were they that led the world after them and got into the form of godliness, but denied the power, who inwardly trampled upon the Spirit, they who brought people into an outward form, but persecuted those who were in the power, even as Cain did, and through covetousness ran greedily after the error of Balaam, loving the wages of unrighteousness. These followers of Cain, Korah, and Balaam, since the days of the apostles, have brought the world to be like a sea. And I saw that such as these might deceive now, just as they had in former ages, but that it is impossible for them to deceive the elect who are chosen in Christ, who was before the world began and before the deceiver, though others may be deceived in their openings and prophecies by not keeping their minds to the Lord Jesus Christ, who does open and reveal to those who are his. I saw the state of those, both priests and people, who, in reading the scriptures, cry out much against Cain, Esau, and Judas, and other wicked men of former times who are mentioned in the holy scriptures, but do not see the nature of Cain, 
of Esau, of Judas, and those others in themselves. These said it was they, they, they that were the bad people, putting it off from themselves. But when some of these men came to see into themselves with the light and spirit of truth, then they came to say, I, 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 it is I myself that have been the Ishmael and the Esau, etc. For then they came to see the nature of wild Ishmael in themselves, the nature of Cain, of Esau, of Korah, of Balaam, and of the son of perdition in themselves, sitting above all that is called God in them. Thus I saw it was the fallen man who had gotten up into the scriptures and was finding fault with those before mentioned, and also with the backsliding Jews, calling them the proud oaks and tall cedars, fat bulls of Bashan, wild heifers, vipers, serpents, etc., charging them that it was they who closed their eyes, stopped their ears, hardened their hearts, and were dull of hearing, that it was they who hated the light and rebelled against it, and quenched and vexed and grieved the spirit. It was they who walked despitefully against the spirit of grace, turned the grace of God into licentiousness, resisted the Holy Spirit, who got the form of godliness but turned against the power, that they were the inwardly ravening wolves with sheep's clothing, wells without water, clouds without rain, and trees without fruit, etc. But when these, who were so busy finding faults with others and thought themselves clear of these things, came to look into themselves and, with the light of Christ, to thoroughly search themselves, they found enough of this in themselves. And then the cry was no longer, it is he or they, as before, but I and we are found in these conditions. I also saw how people read the scriptures without a right sense of them and without rightly applying them to their own states and conditions. For when they read that death reigned from Adam to Moses, and the law and the prophets were until John, and that the least in the kingdom is greater than John, they read these things and apply them to others, but do not turn inward to find the truth of these things in themselves. But as these things came to be opened in me, I saw how death reigned over them from Adam to Moses, that is, from their entrance into transgression, until they came to the ministration of condemnation, which restrains people from the sin that brings death. Then, when the ministration of Moses has been passed through, the ministration of the prophets comes to be read and understood, which reaches through the figures, types, and shadows unto John, the greatest prophet born of a woman, whose ministration prepares the way of the Lord by bringing down the exalted mountains and making straight paths. And as this ministration is passed through, an entrance comes to be known into the everlasting kingdom. Thus I saw plainly that none could read Moses aright without Moses' spirit, by which Moses saw how man was in the image of God in paradise, and how he fell, how death came over him, and how all men have come under this death. I saw how Moses received the pure law that went over all transgressors, and how the clean beasts, which were figures and types, were offered up when the people had come into the righteous law that went over the first transgression. Both Moses and the prophets saw through the types and figures, and beyond them, and saw Christ, the great prophet, who was to come to fulfill them. I saw that none could read John's words aright, and with a true understanding of them, but in and with the same divine spirit by which John spoke them, and by his burning, shining light, which is sent from God. For by that spirit their crooked natures might be made straight, and their rough natures made smooth, and the nature in them that extorts and does violence might be cast out, and they that had been hypocrites might come to bring forth fruits worthy of repentance, and their mountain of sin and earthliness might be laid low, and their valley exalted in them, that within them there might be a way prepared for the Lord. Then the least in the kingdom is greater than John." But all must first know the voice crying in the wilderness of their hearts, which, through transgression, had become like a wilderness. Thus I saw it was an easy matter to say that death reigned from Adam to Moses, and that the law and the prophets were until John, and that the least in the kingdom is greater than John. 
But none could know these things except by the same Holy Spirit that Moses, the prophets, and John were in. They could not know the spiritual meaning of Moses's, the prophets, and John's words, nor see their path and travels, much less see through them and to the end of them into the kingdom, unless they had the spirit and light of Jesus. Nor could they know the words of Christ and of his apostles without his spirit. But as man, by the spirit and power of God, comes through unto Christ, who fulfills the types, figures, and shadows, promises, and prophecies that were of him, and is led by the Holy Spirit into the truth and substance of the scriptures, sitting down in him who is the author and end of them, then they are read and understood with profit and great delight. Moreover, when I was brought up into his image in righteousness and holiness and into the paradise of God, he let me see how Adam was made a living soul and also the stature of Christ, the mystery that had been hidden from ages and generations, which things are hard to be uttered and cannot be borne by many. For of all the sects in Christendom, so-called, that I discoursed with, I found none that could bear to hear of a man coming to Adam's perfection, into the image of God, to the righteousness and holiness that Adam was in before he fell, to be clear and pure without sin, even as he was. Therefore, how could they bear to hear of any growing up to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, when they cannot bear to hear that any, while upon earth, can come into the same power and spirit that the prophets and apostles were in? Though it is a certain truth that none can rightly understand their writings without the same spirit by which they were written. Now the Lord God opened to me by his invisible power that every man was in measure enlightened by the divine light of Christ. I saw how it shined through all and how all who believed in it came out of condemnation into the light of life and became children of it. But they who hated it and did not believe in it, were condemned by it, though they made a profession of Christ. This I saw in the pure openings of the light, without the help of any man, nor did I then know where to find it in the Scriptures, though afterwards, when searching the Scriptures, I found it. Footnote. See, for example, John 1.9, Romans 1.19, Titus 2.11, John 3.19, and 16.8. Returning to text. For I saw in that light and spirit which was before the scriptures were given forth and which led the holy men of God to give them forth that all must come to that spirit if they wish to know God or Christ or the scriptures aright which spirit was the leader and teacher of those who wrote the scriptures. But I observed a dullness and a drowsy heaviness upon people which I wondered at. For sometimes when I would set myself to sleep my mind went all over to the beginning, and that which is from everlasting to everlasting. And I saw that death was to pass over this sleepy, heavy state. And I told people they must come to witness a death to that sleepy, heavy nature, and a cross to it in the power of God, so that their minds and hearts might be on things above. One particular time, as I was walking in the fields, the Lord said unto me, Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life which was before the foundation of the world. And as the Lord spoke it, I believed, and saw it in the new birth. Then, some time after, the Lord commanded me to go abroad into the world, which I saw was like a briary, thorny wilderness. And when I did, in the Lord's mighty power with the word of life, then the world swelled and made a noise like the great raging waves of the sea. Priests and professors, magistrates and people, were all like a sea when I came to proclaim the day of the Lord amongst them and to preach repentance to them. I was sent to turn people from darkness to the light, that they might receive Christ Jesus. For to as many as would receive him in his light, I saw that he would give power to become the sons of God, which I had obtained by receiving Christ." I was to direct people to the Spirit that gave forth the Scriptures, by which they might be led into all truth, and so up to Christ and God, even as they had been who gave forth the Scriptures. I was to turn them to the grace of God, and to the truth in the heart, which came by Jesus, 
that by this grace they might be taught, which would bring them salvation, that their hearts might be established in it, and their words might be seasoned, and all might come to know their salvation to be near. I saw that Christ died for all men and was a propitiation for all, that he enlightened all men and women with his divine and saving light, and that none could be a true believer but who believed in it. I saw that the grace of God which brings salvation has appeared to all men, Titus 2.11, and that the manifestation of the Spirit of God was given to every man to profit with all, 1 Corinthians 12.7. These things I did not see by the help of man, nor by the letter of Scripture, though they are written in the letter, but I saw them in the light of the Lord Jesus Christ, and by his immediate spirit and power, as did the holy men of God by whom the holy scriptures were written. Yet I had no slight esteem for the holy scriptures. Indeed, they were very precious to me, for I was in that spirit by which they were given forth, and the things which the Lord opened in me I afterwards found were agreeable to them. I could speak much of these things, and many volumes might be written, but all would prove too short to set forth the infinite love, wisdom, and power of God in preparing, fitting, and furnishing me for the service he had appointed me to, on the one hand letting me see the depths of Satan, and on the other hand opening to me the divine mysteries of his own everlasting kingdom. Now, when the Lord God and his Son Jesus Christ sent me forth into the world to preach his everlasting gospel and kingdom, I was glad that I was commanded to turn people to that inward light, spirit, and grace by which all might know their salvation and their way to God, even that divine spirit which would lead them into all truth and which I infallibly knew would never deceive any. But with and by this divine power and spirit of God and the light of Jesus, I was to bring people off from their own ways unto Christ the new and living way and from their churches, which men had made and gathered, unto the church in God, the general assembly written in heaven, of which Christ is the head. And I was to bring them off from the world's teachers who were set up by men, so that they might learn of Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life, of whom the Father said, This is my beloved Son, hear him. And I was to bring them off from all the world's worship, to know the spirit of truth in the inward parts, and to be led thereby, so that in the spirit they might worship the Father of spirits, who seeks such as these to worship him. For those who worship not in this spirit know not what they worship. And I was sent to bring people off from all the world's religions, which are vain, to know the pure religion, and to visit the fatherless, the widows, and the strangers, and keep themselves unspotted from the world. For then there would not be so many beggars, the sight of whom often grieved my heart, as it evidenced so much hard-heartedness amongst those that profess the name of Christ. I was to bring them off from all the world's fellowship, praying and singing which stood in forms without power, that their fellowship might be in the Holy Spirit and in the eternal Spirit of God, and that they might pray in the Holy Spirit and sing in the Spirit and with the grace that comes by Jesus, making melody in their hearts to the Lord, who has sent his beloved Son to be their Savior and has caused his heavenly Son to shine upon all the world and through them all, and his heavenly reign to fall upon the just and the unjust, just as his outward reign does fall and his outward Son does shine upon all, which is God's unspeakable love to the world. I was to bring people off from all Jewish ceremonies and heathenish fables and from man's inventions and worldly doctrines by which the people were blown this way and that from sect to sect and off from their beggarly rudiments with their schools and colleges for making ministers of Christ who were indeed ministers of their own making but not of Christ's and from all their images and crosses and sprinkling of infants with all their holy days, so-called, and vain traditions, which had been instituted after the apostles' days and which the Lord's power was against. And in the dread and authority of his power, I was moved to declare against them all and against all that did not preach freely, as being such as had not received freely from Christ. Moreover, when the Lord sent me forth into the world, he forbade me to put off my hat to any, high or low, 
and I was required to thee and thou, all men and women, without any regard to rich or poor, great or small. Footnote. At this time in history, the correct and plain use of thee and thou to one person was beginning to give way to you and your. Most modern English speakers are unaware that the words you and your were originally plural pronouns used only to address two or more people, whereas thee and thou were used to address one person. In the 1600s, it became fashionable as a means of showing honor or flattery to use the plural you or your in addressing people of higher social status, while thee and thou were reserved for servants, children, or people of lower social or economic position. George Fox and all the early friends stuck to what was then considered plain language, using thee and thou to every single person and you and your to two or more, rather than showing preferment by addressing certain individuals in the plural. Returning to text. And as I traveled up and down, I was not to bid people good morrow or good evening. Neither was I to bow and scrape with my leg to anyone. And this made the sects and professions rage. Footnote. The normal greetings between peers at this time involved scraping the right foot backwards along the ground, bowing low while removing the hat, and then commonly flattering one another with titles like your lordship, your eminency, etc. Returning to text. But the Lord's power carried me over all to his glory, and many came to be turned to God in a little time. For the heavenly day of the Lord sprung from on high and broke forth quickly, and by its light many came to see where they were. But oh, the rage that then appeared in the priests, magistrates, professors, and people of all sorts, but especially in priests and professors. For those saying thou to a single person was according to their own education and grammar rules, and according to the Bible, yet they could not bear to hear it. And as to the hat honor, because I could not put off my hat to them, it set them all in a rage. But the Lord showed me that this was an honor from below, which he would lay in the dust and stain, an honor which proud flesh looked for, but sought not the honor which came from God." that this was an honor invented by men in the fall and in the alienation from God who were offended if they did not receive it, and yet they desired to be looked upon as saints, church members, and great Christians. But Christ said, How can you believe who receive honor one from another and seek not the honor which comes from the only God? John 5.44 And I do not receive honor from men. John 5.41 showing that there is an honor which men will receive and give, but Christ will have none of it. This is the honor which Christ will not receive, and which must be laid in the dust. Oh, the rage and scorn, the heat and fury that arose from this! Oh, the blows, punchings, beatings, and imprisonments that we underwent for not putting off our hats to men! For this soon tried all men's patience and sobriety, and manifested what it was. Some had their hats violently plucked off and thrown away, so that they quite lost them. The bad language and evil treatment we received on this account are hard to be expressed, besides the danger we were sometimes in of losing our lives for this manner, and all of this from the great professors of Christianity, who thereby evinced that they were not true believers. And though it was but a small thing in the eye of man, yet a tremendous confusion it brought among all professors and priests— but blessed be the Lord, many came to see the vanity of this custom of putting off the hat to men, and felt the weight of truth's testimony against it. About this time, I was sorely exercised in going to courts to cry for justice, and in speaking and writing to judges and justices to do justly. I warned such as kept public houses for entertainment that they should not let people have more drink than would do them good. And I testified against their feasts, May games, sports, plays, and shows, which trained up people in vanity and looseness, and led them away from the fear of God. And the days which men had decreed to be holy days were usually the times wherein they most dishonored God by these things. In fairs and in markets, I was made to declare against their deceitful merchandise, cheating and fraud, warning all to deal justly, to speak the truth, to let their yes be yes and their no be no, and to do unto others as they would have others do unto them, forewarning them of the great and terrible day of the Lord which would come upon them all. 
I was moved also to cry against all sorts of music and against the swindlers who played tricks on their stages, for they burdened the pure life and stirred up people's minds to vanity. I was also much exercised with schoolmasters and schoolmistresses, warning them to teach their children sobriety in the fear of the Lord, that they might not be nursed and trained up in lightness, vanity, and carelessness. Likewise, I was made to warn masters and mistresses, fathers and mothers in private families, to take care that their children and servants might be trained up in the fear of the Lord, and that they themselves should be examples and patterns of sobriety and virtue to them. For I saw that, even as the Jews were to teach their children and servants the law of God and the old covenant, and to train them up in it, yes, and even the strangers were to keep the Sabbath amongst them and be circumcised before they could eat of their sacrifices, so all Christians, and all that made profession of Christianity, ought to train up their children and servants in the new covenant of light, Christ Jesus, who is God's salvation to the ends of the earth, that all may know their salvation. Thus they ought to train them up in the law of life, the law of the Spirit, the law of love and of faith, that they might be made free from the law of sin and death. And all Christians ought to be circumcised by the Spirit, which puts off the body of the sins of the flesh, so that they may come to eat of the heavenly sacrifice, Christ Jesus, the true spiritual food, which none can rightly feed upon, but they who are circumcised by the Spirit. Likewise, I was exercised about the astrologers, who drew people's minds away from Christ, the bright and morning star, and away from the Son of Righteousness, by whom the sun, the moon, and the stars, and all things were made, who is the wisdom of God, and from whom the right knowledge of all things is received. But the earthly spirit of the priests wounded my life, And when I heard the bell toll to call the people together to the steeple house, it struck at my life, for it was just like a market bell to gather people together that the priest might set forth his merchandise to sell. Oh, the vast sums of money that are gotten by the trade they make out of selling the scriptures and by their preaching from the highest bishop to the lowest priest. What other trade in the world is comparable to it? Though the scriptures were given forth freely, And Christ commanded his ministers to preach freely. And the prophets and apostles pronounced judgment against all covetous hirelings and diviners for money. But in this free spirit of the Lord Jesus, I was sent forth to declare the word of life and reconciliation freely, that all might come to Christ who gives freely and who renews up into the image of God, which man and woman were in before they fell, that they might sit down in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, as I went toward Nottingham with friends to a meeting there on a first day in the morning, when I came up on the top of a hill in sight of the town, I spied the great steeple house, and the Lord said unto me, You must go cry against that great idol and against the worshipers therein. I said nothing of this to the friends that were with me, but went on with them to the meeting where the mighty power of the Lord was amongst us. Afterwards, I left the friends sitting in the meeting, and I went away to the steeple house. When I came there, all the people looked to me like fallow ground, and the priest, like a great lump of earth, stood in his pulpit above them. He took for his text these words of Peter, We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed, as unto a light that shines in a dark place, until the day dawns, and the day star arises in your hearts. And he told the people that this spoke of the scriptures, by which they were to try all doctrines, religions, and opinions. Now the Lord's power was so mighty upon me, and so strong in me, that I could not withhold, but was made to cry out and say, Oh no, it is not the scriptures. And I told them what it was, namely, the Holy Spirit, by which the holy men of God gave forth the scriptures, whereby opinions, religions, and judgments were to be tried. For the Spirit led into all truth, and so gave the knowledge of all truth. The Jews had the scriptures, and yet resisted the Holy Spirit, and rejected Christ, the bright morning star. They persecuted Christ and his apostles, and attempted to try their doctrines by the scriptures, but erred in judgment, and did not try them aright, because they did so without the Holy Spirit." 
As I spoke these things among them, the officers came in and took me away, and put me into a nasty, stinking prison, the smell of which got so into my nose and throat that it very much annoyed me. But that day the Lord's power so sounded in their ears that they were amazed at the voice and could not get it out of their ears for some time after. They were so reached by the Lord's power in the steeple house. At night they took me before the mayor, the aldermen, and the sheriffs of the town. And when I was brought before them, the mayor was in a peevish, fretful temper, but the Lord's power subdued him. They examined me at length, and I told them how the Lord had moved me to come. After some discourse between them and me, they sent me back to prison again. But some time after, the head sheriff, whose name was John Reckless, sent for me to his house. When I came in, his wife met me in the hall and said, Salvation has come to our house. She took me by the hand and was much wrought upon by the power of the Lord, and her husband and children and servants were much changed, for the power of the Lord wrought upon them. I lodged at the sheriff's, and we had great meetings in his house. Some persons of considerable position in the world came to them, and the Lord's power appeared eminently amongst them. This sheriff sent for the other sheriff, and for a woman with whom they had had some business dealings, and he told her before the other sheriff that they had wronged her in their dealings with her, for the other sheriff and he were partners, and that they ought to make her restitution. This he spoke cheerfully, but the other sheriff denied it, and the woman said she knew nothing of it. But the friendly sheriff said it was so, and that the other knew it well enough. And having disclosed the matter and acknowledged the wrong done by them, he made restitution to the woman and exhorted the other sheriff to do the same. The Lord's power was with this friendly sheriff and wrought a mighty change in him, and he had great openings. The next market day, as he was walking with me in the chamber in his slippers, he said, I must go into the market and preach repentance to the people. And accordingly he went into the market and into several streets and preached repentance to the people. Several others also in the town were moved to speak to the mayor and magistrates and to the people, exhorting them to repent. Hereupon the magistrates grew very angry and sent for me from the sheriff's house and committed me to the common prison. When the court sessions came on, a man was moved to come and offer up himself for me, body for body, yes, even his life. But when I should have been brought before the judge, the sheriff's servant being somewhat long in fetching me to the session's house, the judge had gone before I came, at which I understood the judge was somewhat offended, and said, I would have admonished the youth if he had been brought before me, for I was then imprisoned by the name of a youth. So I was brought to prison again and put into the common jail. The Lord's power was great there among friends, but the people began to be very rude, Wherefore, the governor of the castle sent down soldiers and dispersed them, and after that they were quiet. But both priests and people were astonished at the wonderful power that broke forth, and several of the priests were made tender, and some did confess to the power of the Lord. Now, after I was released from Nottingham Jail, where I had been kept prisoner some time, I traveled as before in the work of the Lord. Coming to Mansfield Woodhouse, there was a deranged woman under a doctor's hand, with her hair all loose about her ears. She was bound, and he was about to bleed her, and many other people were around her holding her by violence, but the doctor could get no blood from her. I desired them to unbind her and let her alone, for they could not touch the spirit in her by which she was tormented. So they unbound her, and I was moved to speak to her, and in the name of the Lord to bid her to be quiet and still, and so she was. The Lord's power settled her mind, and she mended, and afterwards she received the truth and continued in it until her death. The Lord's name was honored, to whom belongs the glory of all his works. Many great and wonderful things were wrought by the heavenly power in those days, for the Lord made bare his omnipotent arm and manifested his power to the astonishment of many. By his healing virtue many were delivered from great infirmities, and the devils were made subject through his name of which particular instances might be given beyond what this unbelieving age is able to receive or bear. But blessed forever be the name of the Lord, and everlastingly honored, and may the arm of his glorious power be exalted and magnified over all, by which he has wrought gloriously. Let the honor and praise of all his works be ascribed to him alone. Now, while I was at Mansfield Woodhouse, 
I was moved to go to the steeple house there and declare the truth to the priest and people. But the people fell upon me in great rage, struck me down, and almost stifled and smothered me, and I was cruelly beaten and bruised by them with their hands, Bibles, and sticks. Then they hauled me out, though I was hardly able to stand, and put me into the stocks, where I sat some hours. They brought dog whips and horse whips, threatening to whip me. After some time they brought me before the magistrate, at a knight's house, where there were many people of great position in the world, who, seeing how evilly I had been abused, after much threatening, set me at liberty. But the rude people stoned me out of the town for preaching the word of life to them. I was scarcely able to move or stand by reason of the harsh treatment I had received. Yet, with considerable effort, I got about a mile from the town, and then I met with some people who gave me something to comfort me, because I was inwardly bruised. But the Lord's power soon healed me again. That day some people were convinced of the Lord's truth, and turned to his teaching, at which I rejoiced. Then I went into Leicestershire, with several friends accompanying me. There were some Baptists in those parts whom I desired to see and speak with, because they had separated themselves from the national worship. A man named Oates, who was one of their chief teachers, and others of their leaders, with several others of their company, came to meet us at Barrow, and there we discoursed with them. One of them said, Whatever is not of faith is sin. Whereupon I asked them, What is faith, and how is it wrought in man? But they turned away from that question and spoke of their baptism in water. Then I asked them whether their mountain of sin was brought down and laid low in them, and whether their rough and crooked ways were made smooth and straight in them, for they looked upon these scriptures as speaking of outward mountains and ways. But I told them they must find these things in their own hearts, which they seemed to marvel at. We asked them who baptized John the Baptist, and who baptized Peter, John, and the rest of the apostles. And I asked them to prove by scripture that these were baptized in water, but they were silent. Then I asked them, Seeing Judas, who betrayed Christ, and was called the son of perdition, had hanged himself. Who then was the son of perdition that Paul spoke of, that sat in the temple of God and exalted himself above all that is called God? And what temple of God was it in which the son of perdition sat? And whether the ones who betray Christ within themselves are not one in nature with that Judas who betrayed Christ outwardly? But they could not tell what to make of these things, nor what to say. So after some discourse we parted, and some of them were loving to us. Passing from there, I heard of a people that were imprisoned in Coventry for religion. And as I walked towards the jail, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, My love was always to you, and you are in my love. And I was overwhelmed with the sense of the love of God, and greatly strengthened in my inward man. But when I came into the jail where the prisoners were, a great power of darkness struck at me, and I sat still having my spirit gathered into the love of God. At last these prisoners began to rant and boast and blaspheme, at which my soul was greatly grieved. They said that they were God, but we could not bear to hear such things. When they were calm, I stood up and asked them whether they did such things by emotion from the Spirit or from Scripture. They said, from Scripture. A Bible being at hand, I asked them to point out their Scripture, and they showed me the place where the sheet was let down to Peter, and it was said to him that what God had sanctified he should not call common or unclean. When I had showed them that that scripture proved nothing for their purpose, they brought another, which spoke of God's reconciling all things to himself, both things in heaven and things on earth. I told them I acknowledged that scripture also, but showed them that it was nothing to their purpose either. Then, seeing that they said they were God, I asked them whether they knew if it would rain tomorrow. They said they could not tell. I told them God could tell. Again, I asked them if they thought they would always be in that condition or should change. They answered they could not tell. Then I said unto them, God can tell, and God does not change. You say you are God, and yet you cannot tell whether you shall change or not. So they were confounded and quite brought down for a time. And after I had reproved them for their blasphemous expressions, I went away, for I perceived that they were ranters. Footnote. 
Ranters were a somewhat odd, nonconformist group that sprung up in the mid-1600s and who received their name because of their extravagant discourses and practices. Some of them appear to have been genuine seekers of truth who, in the words of William Penn, did not keep in the humility and in the fear of God, and after the abundance of revelation, were exalted above measure, and for lack of staying their minds in a humble dependence upon him that opened their understandings to see great things in his law, they ran out in their own imaginations, and mixing them with those divine openings, brought forth a monstrous birth to the scandal of those who feared God. Ranters would often interrupt established religious gatherings with shouting, ranting, singing, playing instruments, or making other loud noises. Returning to text. I had met with none of this sort before, and I admired the goodness of the Lord in appearing so unto me before I went amongst them. Not long after this, one of these ranters, whose name was Joseph Salmon, put forth a paper or book of recantation, upon which they were set at liberty. From Coventry I went to Atherstone, and it being their lecture day, I was moved to go to their chapel to speak to the priests and people. They were generally pretty quiet, except for a few who raged, and desired my relations to have me bound. I declared many things to them, how that God had come to teach his people himself, and to bring them off from all their man-made teachers to hear his son. Some were convinced there. Then I went to Market Bosworth, and there was a lecture there also. The one who preached that day was Nathaniel Stevens, the priest of the town where I was born. He raged much when I spoke to him and to the people, and told them I was mad, though he had said before to Colonel Purfoy that there was never such a plant bred in England. He bid the people not to hear me, and so, being stirred up by this deceitful priest, the people fell upon us and stoned us out of the town, yet they did not do us much harm. Nevertheless, some people were made loving that day, and others were confirmed in the truth, having seen the rage of both priests and professors, and some cried out that the priest dared not stand to prove his ministry. As I traveled through markets, fairs, and various places, I saw death and darkness in all people where the power of the Lord had not shaken them. As I was passing on through Leicestershire, I came to Twy Cross, where there were some custom officers. I was moved of the Lord to go to them, and to warn them to take heed of oppressing the poor, and the people were much affected by it. There was in that town a wealthy man who had long lain sick, and had been given up by the physicians. Some friends in the town desired me to go to see him. I went up to him in his chamber, and spoke the word of life to him, and was moved to pray for him, and the Lord was entreated, and restored him to health. But when I had come downstairs, into a lower room, and was speaking to the servants, and to some people that were there, a servant came raving out of another room with an unsheathed sword in his hand and set it just up to my side. I looked steadfastly on him and said, Alas for you, poor creature, what will you do with your carnal weapon? It is no more to me than a straw. The bystanders were much troubled, and the servant went away in a rage and full of wrath. But when the news of this came to his master, he discharged him from his service. Thus the Lord's power preserved me, and raised up the weak man, who afterwards was very loving to friends. And when I came to that town again, both he and his wife came to see me. After this I was moved to go into Derbyshire, where the mighty power of God was among friends. And I went to Chesterfield, where one named Britland was priest. He saw beyond the common sort of priests, for he had been partly convinced and had spoken much on behalf of truth before he was priest there. But when the priest of that town died, he got a parsonage and choked himself with it. I was moved to speak to him and the people in the great love of God, that they might come off from all men's teaching unto God's teaching, and he was not able to oppose what I said. But they brought me before the mayor and threatened to send me and some others to the house of correction, and there kept us in custody until it was late in the night. Then the officers, together with the watchmen, put us out of the town, leaving us to get by as we could. So I bent my course towards Derby, having a friend or two with me. In our way we met with many professors, and at Kidsey Park many were convinced. Then coming to Derby, I stayed at a doctor's house whose wife was convinced, along with several others in the town. As I was walking in my chamber, the bell of the steeple house rang, 
and it struck at my life at the very hearing of it. So I asked the woman of the house why they were ringing the bell. She said there was to be a great lecture there that day, and many of the officers of the army and priests and preachers were to be there, and a colonel who was a preacher. Then I was moved of the Lord to go up to them, and when they had finished, I spoke to them what the Lord commanded me, and they were pretty quiet. But then came an officer who took me by the hand and said that I and the other two that were with me must go before the magistrates. It was about the first hour after noon that we came before them. They asked me why we had come there. I said, God had moved us so to do. And I told them, God dwells not in temples made with hands. I told them also that all their preaching, baptisms, and sacrifices would never sanctify them. And I bid them look unto Christ in them, and not unto men, for it is Christ that sanctifies. Then they ran into many words, but I told them they were not to dispute about God and Christ, but to obey Him. The power of God thundered amongst them, and they flew like chaff before it. They put me in and out of the room often, hurrying me backward and forward, for they were examining me from the first hour till the ninth hour at night. Sometimes they would tell me in a deriding manner that I was taken up in raptures. Then they asked me if I had no sin. I answered, Christ my Savior has taken away my sin, and in him there is no sin. They asked how we knew that Christ did abide in us. I said, By his Spirit that he has given us. They temptingly asked if any of us were Christ. I answered, No, we are nothing. Christ is all. They said, If a man steals, is it no sin? I answered, All unrighteousness is sin. So when they had wearied themselves in examining me, they committed me and one other man to the house of correction in Derby for six months as blasphemers. This is the end of this excerpt from George Fox's journal. Though often imprisoned, beaten, slandered, and abused, George Fox continued to minister in the power and wisdom of Christ until his death in 1691 at the age of 66. When at liberty, he traveled tirelessly all over England, Scotland, Ireland, Europe, the Caribbean islands, and the American colonies, preaching in the demonstration of the spirit and power and turning people from the darkness of sin and man-made religion to the light of Jesus Christ that shines in the heart. When confined in prison, he wrote an enormous quantity of letters, papers, and treatises for the strengthening of the church and for the instruction of all in the way of truth. Thomas Elwood, Fox's intimate friend and the editor of his journal, had this to say concerning the life and ministry of this remarkable man. From 1660 to the time of his death, I knew him well, conversed with him often, observed him much, loved him dearly, and honored him truly. And upon good experience I can say, he was indeed a heavenly-minded man, zealous for the name of the Lord, and preferred the honor of God before all things. He was valiant for the truth, bold in asserting it, patient in suffering for it, unwearied in laboring in it, steady in his testimony to it, immovable as a rock. Deep he was in divine knowledge, clear in opening heavenly mysteries, plain and powerful in preaching, fervent in prayer. He was richly endued with heavenly wisdom, quick in discerning, sound in judgment, able and ready in giving, discreet in keeping counsel, a lover of righteousness, an encourager of virtue, justice, temperance, meekness, purity, chastity, modesty, humility, charity, and self-denial in all, both by word and by example.